Now, there are obviously many differences between me and a Grand Slam champion, right? You'd agree? Well, I think you're being a bit harsh on yourself. <laughs> but I'd also go as far as saying there's many differences between you and a Grand Slam champion. Would you agree? Oh, yes, I would agree. <laughs> but they were brought into sharp focus when I flew back from Paris yesterday. Was it yesterday? I flew back from Paris yesterday. And I was with a friend of ours, Lucy, and we're coming through the old security and checking everything, a bit of a backlog. And there was Sophia Kennan. Oh, right. Grand Slam champion, Grand Slam finalist with dad, right? Yes. So come through security. She was having her bags sort of gone through. Lucy was thinking maybe she had her runners up plate stashed in the hand luggage, but they were going through everything. And then as we came out, Lucy and I went off to Pret to get a coffee. Sophia Kennan went to Cartier. To buy something. Well, I think, fair <laughs> and at, enough. And at that point, I thought, there is one massive difference between me and a Grand Slam champion. I think there are millions of differences between you. Millions of differences. And a Grand millions Slam of champion. differences. <laughs> but it was at that moment when Lucy and I were saying, right, let's go and find a, let's go and find a coffee. And Sophia Kennan, with her dad, straight into Cartier. And I thought, it's just a difference, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Just going to buy yeah. herself something yeah. nice. And why not? She's earned it. Why not? I mean, Shantek's now a millionaire. It's incredible, isn't it? It's Oh, look, we talked last week about the life-changing nature of these tournaments. Potter Oscar's now the world number 40. It's incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible how life-changing a couple of weeks can be. It's amazing. I wonder if it is kind of, is it kind of unique to the sport? I'm not really sure. I mean, in others, in like team sports, if you get drafted. I want to say yes. I want to say it is quite unique. I think... It was Ben Rothenberg who tweeted at the very beginning of the tournament, I think before the tournament even began, where he put up a picture of somebody who'd come through qualifying and just how much it meant to them. And, you know, they're hugging their their parents or whatever it is at the side of the court. And he said that this is something so unique to this sport or something along. I'm paraphrasing, but he, he that's the point he was making is that you don't get these moments of, OK, now she's reached a Grand Sam main draw. She's got enough money to see her through for X, Y and Z. You know what I mean? And it's all played out. And Or if, if people win their first round matches as well, that sort of thing. So I do think it is a little bit unique, yeah. One thing we're going to have to get used to, and we probably would have had to get used to it anyway, but we're going to have to get used to with Iga Świątek becoming the Roland Garros champion is learning how to say her name. How many yes. versions of her surname have you heard? Them all. <laughs> Them all. <laughs> I was actually just saying to you before we came on air, not about Sriontek, but that uh, through the second week of Roland Garros, so I worked up until the second Monday. Yep. So I did those sort of nine days. Uh, and then through the second week, I could just relax. So I was watching a bit of it. And we've got a couple of channels where it's on. So I was listening to different sort of commentary because, you know, I know most of the commentators, we, we work with them, listening to Radio Roland Garros. So I got Thank to hear you. you I thought bit. you were going to leave and that I... out. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was kind of like, yeah, chipping in. And then, of course, listening to Five Live, which is what I was working on in the first week and uh, um, trying to kind of hear all the different opinions. And I'll tell you what I heard was a lot of different Sviontex. <laughs> that <laughs> that is not the way because by the end of it I feel like I was even muddled <laughs> I, was like, I don't know everybody said it so horrendously differently I mean I, I, the ones that I've heard like one I mean I could understand somebody calling her Sweatech because last year for example we thought she was called Sweatech because that's how it's spelled in English and uh, it was until I think it was Roland Garros last year where she had a bit of a breakthrough and she said, oh, well, actually, it's Shiontek. 
and so we've all started changing since then so it's been a good a good 18 months I think to get used to it used to it but people were calling her Skiavontek Shavonatek I mean it was just <laughs> it was the tech bit never changed that was always <laughs> correct the rest of it I don't know what was going on one of my colleagues on radio had a problem with the first name and called her Igor <laughs> which point <laughs> which point I said okay it's not Igor well, so, also uh, that's not the difficult bit how did that person <laughs> do with the surname no also struggled a little bit with the surname but it, there shocked. are names aren't, aren't there names that you sometimes have a mental block with well yeah what's mine is um what what's mine with Pavic Marte Marte and Pavic <laughs> I think the doubles pair is. I always say it's Marte and Pavic rather than Marte Pavic. But he is just one person. person. He's just one person. He's just his own doubles team. You used to call them a doubles team, didn't you? Oh well, Marte and Pavic won. I was like, who was that Marte was and Pavic just playing one of those with? Things. I couldn't get it out of my head. I just didn't understand. Hey, there's Marte and Pavic. No, it, it was Marac and Pavic, wasn't it? That was the team at the time. And, it's and I just kept Suarez calling them Marte and Pavic. But Marte is Pavic's first name just for clarification there are names that sometimes you look at and you can't get your head I mean for me it was the coach of Sviantec oh, I mean yeah. well I didn't go near that I so. didn't I mean I didn't <laughs> whenever I was on air I'd pass that over to whoever I was with with a sort of glint in my eye and say oh and now the coach of Sviantec must be really proud of what she's doing and they just look <laughs> yeah. at me and say I just, I can't, I can't do that. I can't. Well, all the, the different TV viewings that I was watching, when it did just go to her box, it was just, there's her box. <laughs> Coach, psychologist sort of thing. No need to go into the names. It's just, there are, and it can be difficult. And if you're doing, if you're doing commentary and if you're having to speak really fast and it's, it, it is difficult. But I think there is a lovely, um, What's well, lovely? It's good. It's a good video that's going around that she did for the, was it the WTA when she actually says about her name? Yes, yes, and it's Sviantek. Well, I think most people are on board with it now. Here we go. Her coach's surname is I'm not going to try and say S I E R Z P U T O W S K I. Well, now I'm digging deep into my Polish reserves here. And I've got nothing. Do you have any Polish reserves? Yeah, I'm Polish. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you not know this? No, I, you, you, no. Well, you know when you're little and you're like, I'm, a, I'm an eighth this and a sixteenth this <laughs> or whatever. No, no, actually, it's quite legitimate. My granddad was fully 100% Polish and his name is Mr. Wisniewski. That was your grandfather? Yes, my grandfather. Yeah, on my mother's side. Uh, and so we've got loads of Polish relatives that um, we see a fair amount. So okay. So I'm, I'm basically, I think I'm a, that makes me a quarter Polish. Okay, so S-I-E-R-Z-P-U-T-O-W-S-K-I. You should get that. Because I'm not anything yeah. Polish. I've you said it quite fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak any Polish. <laughs> so you, okay, I didn't know that. Well, look at this. All right, it's getting... Yeah, I know, right? What are your other bits then? Well, just, I'm basically half English and then... My quarter Polish, quarter Irish. I think that's how it goes. Quarter Polish, quarter Irish. There mm-hmm. we go. That's interesting. Yep. Thank you very much. So, yeah, so there is a WTA video where she says in, in England, they say in the UK it's Sviatech, but it's Sviatech, and she doesn't mind, but probably go with Sviatech. So, it, you know. Yeah, so I was actually told, I think early on in my career, and this is something that I'm not necessarily a fan of in terms of people switching nationalities, but I could have played for Ireland 
I could have represented Ireland in Fed Cup or Poland in Fed Cup if I wanted Did to. Did someone actually tell you that? Yeah. Did you ever consider it? Uh, no. <laughs> because for, <laughs> for some people, it's a way of becoming part of a team, isn't it? If I don't know, if if one country is super strong and they're not going to get in it, it, it can be a way, can't it, of, yeah. of representing Yes, a and I remember we played against Poland and I played against Agnieszka Radvanska. And, uh, yeah, I remember kind of just looking at them, feeling like, I'm one of you. And they were like, you're not. <laughs> you're not. I think the, the, the team was Radvanska, Domachowska and Radvanska. And they were like, no. You know, I mean, actually, I got on with Radvanska very well. She was, she was very nice. Did you tell her you were a quarter Polish? Do you know what? I don't think I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same when I meet sort of like Irish people or players or whatever around, and I'm like, I'm one of you. You're not. You're not. <laughs> really <Yeah>. not. <laughs> it's when I try and tell people I'm French, and they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, a similar sort of thing, isn't it? But uh, but yeah, so I will, you know, I, I root for the, for the polls. Why not? But with difficult names, the advice I was always given that I try and stick to is say it quickly and with confidence. 100%. Not 100% for Shiontek, because we know the spelling of it, but her coach with all those letters... If you just, you've just got to get stuck in, yep. go for it quickly and with confidence. A hundred percent. You just, just do it because the majority of people won't know that you're wrong. But that is my motto for everything I do in commentary because my loose facts are not just, <laughs> just for the podcast. They do sometimes creep up where they really shouldn't. And, uh, and I just say it confidently. I'm like, oh yeah, well, you know, well, I told you before, didn't I? I was saying that I spent the first two years of my commentating life saying how I'd played against Kvitova and been duffed up by her. And it turns out that never happened. So (laughs) I just, I was so convinced. Look, there are many other players that I've been duffed up by or I've played against, uh, you know, at the very, very top of the game. So, you know, I played against Kerber multiple times and Lesiki and as I say, Radvansky, there are lots. So it's not like I was trying. It's just, I thought that I played her at this tournament in Spain, which she won, but it turns out she didn't beat me to win it. She just, she won it. I think, I don't know, I must have lost somewhere else. But I, I hit with her, I think, that maybe that was the confusion. But I was convinced. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, definitely lying. But no one will know. No, but what if you went into commentary with someone and someone you worked with remembered and said, oh, so you've played Quitter in the past. Would you now continue on with the loose fact? Or uh. would you actually own up to the fact that you actually got it wrong and you made it up? Well, no, because that's the perfect opportunity to make them look stupid and be like, no. I never played Quitter. <laughs> Where have you got that from? It's a, Crazy it's an, person. It's an absolute joy working with you, I've got to say. Um, something I've now heard is, remember on the pod a while back, we were talking about disembarking or getting off a plane. Oh, man. I feel, is this, are we taking steps backwards now? No, it's just, it's just because yesterday I got off a plane and nothing was said. No, I just, so I want to go back to the, no one told me it's time to disembark. Seatbelt sign went off. Thank you for flying with us. Have a lovely day. Goodbye. That was it. But I was listening to a podcast when they used the term deplaning. Oh. And it was, yeah. So I've heard it now. It was, it American. was an Amer- American yeah, podcast, thank you very much. an American narrator. And she was sort of telling this story and she said they were asked to deplane. I mean, I still go back to the fact that they don't tell you. It's it's the word for it, but you don't get told to deplane. Like well, they say things like before disembarking the aircraft, no, they make said, sure have a nice you've got day. All, your, all your belongings. Take your stuff. 
and get out was and a little bit polite than that but no i've heard deplaning so just to say i've, I've heard it in action well, we've already established that this is a thing I want to talk about the goat debate because because since no I do because (laughs) because since Nadal's stunning tournament stunning tournament including the stunning final it's back on the table it feels it's a little bit back on the table do you not think it well it's it's definitely up for discussion now I think all of the discussion over the years has been kind of nonsense to me it's been clear that Federer has been the goat. Okay. But and how can you be a goat until you're all done? How can... Well, yeah, but if you're going to have the conversation and say, today, who is the greatest player of all time? Right. If you'd have said that four years ago, which people yep. were, it was Federer, just hands down. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So now... Where's your goat now? I don't know. But, but now it's a case of we've got to wait and see, haven't we? Because we've got to wait and see. It will end up being Djokovic. But you've gone for... Okay, so you've gone from Federer being the goat. At that time. You've gone from Federer at that time being the goat. You've got Djokovic, who will be the ultimate goat. So who's your current goat? I'm not really a fan <laughs> of goats. I have no goats. I don't like goat's <laughs> cheese. Who, do you not? You can't not like goat's no, cheese. No, I do actually. I'm like Love goat's cheese. <laughs> um, who is your, who is, if someone said to you now, if you had to go on a debate and they were debating the goat and you had to come down on one side of the goat... <laughs> <laughs> who would it be not today today so today tuesday the 13th of october who's your go so on tuesday the 13th of october they yep. decided that tennis will cease to exist in the future that's it no more tennis no, no there will be more tennis but if they ask you today because you said at that time federer was your goat so i'm asking you at this time tuesday 13th of october with tennis still to play who is your goat uh i don't know See, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's not really. Uh, to be honest, I don't. I don't engage in the in this this debate that much because I recognise that people are really bored of it and everybody has a different view on it. Like for me, it's the whole package thing. Like, of course, the numbers count hugely, but I don't know. At this point, I'm just like, well, let's wait and see. No, but that's interesting. If it's a whole package thing, you still believe that Djokovic will be the ultimate goat? Because for me, on numbers, I believe Djokovic will end up with the most I know 2020 back end didn't quite go to plan but I still believe that he will be the ultimate goat but you're saying the ultimate goat is the whole package and you're saying it will be you're saying it'll be Djokovic which is quite interesting because there's a side of Djokovic that might not put him up with with the with the goat well yeah of course but if you win that many more slams and that many more major titles so you are going with numbers no no let me finish. <laughs> but like, as in, if, say, you had Federer and Nadal on 20 and then Djokovic on 22, I could totally understand somebody saying that Federer is the GOAT or Nadal's the GOAT because yep. it's about the whole package, it's about what they do for the sport and all this sort of stuff. And Djokovic just hasn't ever quite grasped onto that. But if Djokovic ends up on 27 and they're on 20, then that, I think, negates it. It's like he's so much better in terms of what he's achieved that... It, it like it's just it's it's that much you know what I mean like if they're kind of close you could you could argue but I think if you're if you're head and shoulders above them then you just got to suck it up and say he's the goat but he's still got a few to go what I thought was really interesting was 
Carlos Moya actually spoke to us for the TV show I was working on, live at Roland Garros. We managed to speak to him. The Nadal family, extended family and friends, were having a photo on Philippe Chatrier after, I was about to say after everyone had gone. There wasn't really that many people in there, but after it had cleared out and they went back onto the court and there were some really lovely scenes we got on camera of Nadal and his sister hugging and everyone being really happy. But we managed to get a few words with Carlos Moya. And I think what is interesting is he said, we don't talk about numbers. We don't have a target. We don't have an aim. We know with Serena Williams, the number 24 is very important. She's I'm interrupting about absolute <laughs> nonsense. From who? I'm sorry. <laughs> From Moya. Come on. Moya might not talk about it, but there was also an interview afterwards where um, somebody was interviewing him in Nadal in Spanish and said, oh, so you and Federer are now on 20, Djokovic is on 18. And he went, hey, don't give Djokovic an extra one. He's on 17. So... Nadal knows the numbers as well as anybody. No, he knows the numbers. But I, I, I do believe that he doesn't come into Roland Garros, what, two, three weeks ago now. And he's thinking, right, I've got to get number 13 or I've got to equals Federer number 20. I, 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 I genuinely don't believe that. I believe that Djokovic comes in and he said it. He wants to be the greatest. He wants the numbers. It's about the numbers. Serena Williams is focusing on 24. There's the debate of shouldn't be 24, is 24. The number is 24. She said she wants 24. I don't necessarily think that that is Nadal's main target and focus yes of course he knows the numbers but I don't believe that they're sitting around talking tactics saying right fella at the end of this you could be equal with Federer I, I don't think that's part of the conversation uh, no, no no I think yeah he, he probably looks a little bit smaller in terms of the 13th Roland Garros or just winning another Grand Slam like for sure I I I get what you mean that I don't think either Federer or Nadal would necessarily be as driven as say Djokovic has been but Djokovic has come from a long way behind a long way behind it is unbelievable I cannot remember for the life of me who put up the tweet though and I've, I very much apologize for it of the numbers in 2010 I mean it's crazy absolutely crazy in 2010 Federer had 16 Nadal had six and Djokovic had one 10 years ago I mean, it's ridiculous. Djokovic has basically won everything since then, apart from the doll picking up lots as well, and Federer snatching a few as well as Vavrinka, Murray three each, Chilich one, and Del Potro one. Is that everybody? That's everybody, isn't it? And team? Did you say team? Team, team. Yes. Can't have forgotten him already. Recent, that was only last month. <laughs> <laughs> Poor team. I don't believe it. But anyway, I, I I don't know. I mean, for me, it's. It's so such a phenomenal thing, and I really do believe this transcends all sport in terms of it's one thing to have somebody winning that number of majors and being the goat, for example. But the fact that they're all at it at the same time just it doesn't make any sense. That's fifty-seven slams they have between them. Fifty-seven. It's absolutely ridiculous, and. Nadal, I think for me, winning Roland Garros this year, I said it before and I'll, I'll repeat it now. I thought that if he were to win this year, it would be his biggest achievement yet because I think it was the toughest conditions, no warm up, no lead up. He didn't have motivation to practice for an, a, a period of time. He had a tough draw. Um, and I mean, he, you know, change of balls, change of conditions, change of everything, putting it in October. I mean, what more could you throw at the guy? And he was like, oh, actually, yeah, it's fine. I still win this thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely extraordinary for me as as a win individually. 
Um, and it's so weird. A few people have commented on it, I think, as well on social media. But it's so weird that Djokovic was like, I was really surprised by how well he played. <laughs> have you not seen this guy before? <laughs> Pretty sure you've played against him. It wasn't like Nadal hitting new levels. He was. It was just Nadal being brilliant for the first couple of sets. Yeah, he was, he was incredible. When you think he won through without dropping a set the whole way through we talked about i mean the schwarzman's test it wasn't a test in the end yannick's in the test before that that wasn't a test there's been some close sets was that probably was sinner the most the most of a test he got maybe probably it's a shame that we had a tired team tired you know yes we had, we had a tired team who who bowed out but i i think the schwarzman it was testing at times i really do think there were there were testing periods in some matches you know, there were testing periods with Sinner. The first set against Sinner was was great and how Sinner was playing was, was incredible, but Nadal ground him down. There were testing periods with Schwartzman, but then Schwartzman was like raising his arms to the box saying, well, what am I meant to do? And then for me, Djokovic, I mean, those first two sets, there was, and I thought Djokovic was going to win the title with the conditions yeah. and everything was so heavy. And but Well, what did Ivan Isovic say before the match? Like he, do you say he's absolutely going to win, or there's no way he can lose to Nadal, or there's no way Nadal can beat him, or something? I think that you know, I, pretty. It was pretty strong. I think one of the best things that probably happened to Nadal was losing to Schwartzman in Rome. I know there's different conditions, but I think it it kind of reset Nadal a little bit. He went away and worked on a few things. We saw that against Schwartzman. He was standing a lot closer in. Well, for Nadal, he was standing a lot closer in. There was once uh, I remember commentating and looked down, looked up, and he was kind of on the baseline to return a second serve. And I just thought, what's, go- what's going on? Yeah. I don't understand. But he had adjusted. Tactically, he had adjusted from that defeat in Rome. And he knew what he had to do. And Schwarzman stood no chance. But for me in that final, Djokovic, until he broke back in the third set, there was no roaring. There was no screaming. There was no... Flat, he was really, really flat. And was he flat because of something within him that wasn't quite right mentally or physically? Or was he flat because of what Nadal was able to do to him to make him flat. Yeah, I mean, look, we've got no idea. I would imagine it's a combination of the two, just starting off a little bit slowly, like maybe wanting to warm up and get into the match, and then he's just not allowed in because Nadal's not missing. He's ripping his forehand all over the place. And Djokovic just almost... I think sometimes, you know, Djokovic can start on the back foot and lots of players can start on the back foot, and that's fine. And then if they're allowed in with glimpses here and there, then they kind of grab hold of something and they pull themselves into the match and then off they go. They might drop the first set or whatever, or they might come back. But there was just, there was absolutely nothing. It was like trying to cling on to a glass wall. Like Nadal gave you, gave Djokovic not a chance to try and find his form. And then that just almost got worse and worse and worse. And he just sort of got flatter and flatter and flatter through the second set, I think. Um, yeah, he was just very quiet. I think I texted you, didn't I? I think in the middle of the second set, I was like, this is really kind of unsettling <laughs> from Djokovic. He's silent. It was, it was, it was, you know, we talk about Andy Murray when he's not yelling and screaming. That's, you know, we need that yelling and screaming. And Djokovic, there was, there was no looks to the box. He was just, he was accepting of his fate for so long in that final. Well, I mean, look, also, Nadal was pretty ridiculous. So... It was incredible. But it was amazing because it almost turned Djokovic into everybody else in the draw when they played Nadal on Philippe yeah. Chatier, which is, as you say, accepting of their fate, of they kind of go in all guns blazing. Think of like a Sebi Corder. Like, oh, I mean, he was so pumped for the match. He was so <laughs> excited. He was like, yes, I'm going to get stuck in. And within 
I'm going to say 40 seconds, <laughs> probably one point of that match, he went, oh. <laughs> okay. he, has, he has a cat called Nadal. He was never going to do anything on that day against Nadal. He idolizes the man. His cat is named after him. That was it. Was never going to end. I, but it was never going to end well was, for Corda. But you could you could almost see it on his face. The realization of like, okay, right. So we're just going to keep playing until I've lost. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> How long is that going to be? Look at the watch. Hopefully, we can make it last <laughs> over an hour. We should be able to. Uh, and then, yeah, that 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 was that was it. And we know like so many players do that, and players do that against Djokovic as well. And also, we've got to remember the last time they played in the Grand Slam final, Australian Open, twenty nineteen, the amount of hype before that final, we were all kind of like, "Oh, this is going to be amazing! This is going to be amazing!" Djokovic absolutely destroyed him, totally destroyed Nadal, and I mean, not to the extent that Nadal did in in Paris, obviously, because you know, first sets love and one is quite extraordinary, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I would say the Australian Open is similar. Okay, he doesn't have 13 Australian Opens, but he has quite a lot of them. And it's kind of like his backyard, and this is Nadal's backyard. And it's amazing how, yeah, we haven't... Maybe they need to play somewhere else. US Open, <laughs> US Open or Wimbledon final. And then we might get the real clash. Because in those ones, it's kind of like Nadal doesn't believe when he's at the Australian Open against Djokovic. Djokovic doesn't believe when he's on Philippe Chatrier against Nadal. I think the funny thing is, though, speaking to everybody ahead of the final, whether they've played the game, still playing the game, or just love the game and work in the game, the the least popular scoreline or permutation was Nadal in straight sets. That was the that was the least popular. People were saying Djokovic in straight sets, yes. Nadal can't do yes, this in straight sets. Exactly. I agree. Isn't yeah. it funny? Yeah. How we get sucked into this all the time. And there are certain there are certain things in tennis, I think the and the narratives kind of come up quite repetitively. So, for example, last year, going into the French Open, because Nadal had had, a, by his standards, a little bit of a slow start when it comes to the clay. I mean, he'd made four semifinals, I think, and then he won the title in Rome. But it was the first time since 2005 or whatever it was that he hadn't won a title on clay until that late on, like just before Roland Garros. And everyone was thinking, ooh, he looks kind of beatable. What's he going to be like? Yeah, well. He he was fine. He <laughs> he was absolutely fine. And then again, coming in here, well, he hasn't had the build up. He lost to Schwartzman in, in Rome, and oh, what's it going to be like? Yep, he's Nadal. He's absolutely fine. And the other ones like that, I remember Serena at the Australian Open has always been a big one because she used to stop after the US. And when she had that period of time and it, people were like, but it's been months. It's been months. What's she going to be like? What sort of level is she going to produce? And then first match, we're like, oh, right. Yeah, it's Serena. She's better than everyone. At the time, she was better than everyone. I know she's not now, but she was. And it was like, oh, yeah, she's going to win this thing. And also, you kind of knew she hadn't been practicing that much. <laughs> she, she just works her way through the tournament. Um, and yeah, those sorts of things. I think it's we kind of do sort of get ramped up don't we with the question marks is this the one is this the year i mean god how many year of the next genus have we had this is the year where it's not going to be shared between nadal federer and Djokovic. this is the year and of course team finally finally winning um that one but obviously without a nadal and and a federer but every year it's people just i don't want to say people are encouraging these top guys and serena and, and those sorts of players to not be at their best but there is an element of like, this is it, this is it, this is, oh no, okay. <laughs> and then the next tournament, this is the one, this, oh no, they're, they're still really good. Well, talk about having a, a memory blank. 
Djokovic, if he had won, would be the first man in the Open era to have won every slam at least twice. So I was sitting there thinking, right, Nadal, which one, which one? Wimbledon? No, I'm, sh- I'm sure he's got a couple of... sure he's got a couple of those. Of course, Australia. Australia that's only saying, once. That's because Djokovic, is, Djokovic is backyard. But you know when you sit there thinking... Has he not done? And obviously, Nadal has cut everyone's chances at Roland Garros. Federer snuck in one. Djokovic snuck in one. Nadal has taken Roland Garros away from an entire generation. Probably three generations, I think, because he's going to continue for another few years. And he started winning it on his debut when he was 18. Poor Dominic team. Do you think, do you think, and this is playing devil's advocate on this on this GOAT debate that you don't want to engage in, but do you think that... Not against Nadal, but not in his favour, is that to this point, 13 of his 20 have come at the same tournament. Does that take anything away that they're not as spread around as much as the others? I just It just changes the debate, doesn't it? Because he's clearly the greatest of all time on clay, which is... A surface in tennis, and you know, we're we're a we're a sport that is not consistent, you know, in terms of the surface that we play on, and the surface dramatically changes everything. It's like if you said to like footballers, okay, you play this one tournament on sand, and then you know, Portugal were really good because they got lots of sand. <laughs> Do they have lots of sand in Portugal? <laughs> Do you know what? I've never been to Portugal, so I don't know why. I've... Have you not? Have you never been to Portugal? <laughs> Hang on. Everywhere. Are you telling me that everywhere you've been to some very strange, far off places, you haven't played in a tennis tournament in Portugal? I don't think I have. No, I just don't think I ever went. There are loads of tournaments in Portugal all the time, but I just don't think I ever did. Oh, it's just one of those but you know what I mean? It's in like changing the surface is dramatic. It's a massive, massive difference. It's one of the things I love most about the sport. I pretty much say this every week, I think, at this point, <laughs> every podcast. But it's totally crazy. And that does just completely change elements because if we only played on clay, well, of course, I mean, there's there'd be absolutely no doubt Nadal is the greatest of all time. I mean, it's ridiculous. If we only played on grass, it would be Federer. And if we only played on a hard court, you'd saying chocolate there's some mutterings already that Nadal won't be at the tour finals now normally at this time of year his body will not allow him to be at the tour finals and people are getting quite excited of a fit and refreshed Nadal could he actually win the tour titles and there's mumblings that he's not going to do it and some are saying well that again takes away from his legacy because it's something he hasn't got it's not in the trophy cabinet has he got anything to prove by going to London and trying to win the tour finals he's got nothing to prove at this point like no way I think he'll go if he feels like he can compete properly and he's not injured Um, which I think is probably more of a possibility this year than it would have been in other years. But he's got to be careful with the injuries going from heavy, heavy clay courts to fast indoor courts. That's quite difficult for his knees. We know that's one of the most difficult changes for him. And that's when his knees always start to struggle each year is after the sort of clay, grass, hard transition all within a sort of six-week period, period. That's when his knees start to struggle and he can kind of just about get himself fit and healthy enough for the US Open. And then he's pretty much toast. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, he'll play if he can. I'm sure he will. I mean, I don't think there's anything about it that he doesn't want to play. I think it's just purely a professional decision. And, and we know that like everything that they do is about prolonging their careers. And Federer was probably the first person to start thinking about prolonging his career very, very early on with everything that he was doing. Nadal has probably 
made a few mistakes here and there and is now trying to play catch up. Somebody like Andy Murray has admitted that he's made mistakes over the years in terms of prolonging his career. He hasn't taken like paid attention to that enough. Djokovic seems like he caught that wave just in time and he's going to be looking to push in late to his 30s as well, if he wants to. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just about prolonging his career. As we speak at the moment, Paris Bercy indoors is going ahead with a limited crowd, which would be good if yes. they can get some crowd inside. And the tour finals is going out. I believe at the moment it's behind closed doors with a limited amount of media, but everything can change. I mean, things are changing on a daily basis. And I think it. I think it's quite remarkable what tennis has achieved over the last few months, holding two grand slams within a pandemic. And in terms of positive cases absolutely tiny when you think of the numbers involved yes there was the much talked about Benoit pair cases the couple of cases in Cincinnati but really when you think that Roland Garros went very very smoothly with all the plays and that was a tighter bubble of hotel venue hotel venue and you got the feeling that that did affect some of the high rank players who are used to more freedom and more people but I think it's quite incredible what the sport of a tennis of tennis has achieved up to this point I think it's been a great effort we definitely have benefited from what it seems like has been the best period of time when it comes to COVID numbers around the world. I know America might be out on its own as a little bit of an exception, but in terms of traveling around, you feel like August, September, and now the beginning of October, has that has been where everything was taking its big dip and everywhere now it's on the rise again. So it might be a little more difficult towards the back end of the year. Um, and then, of course, winter being involved in January. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I don't know how it's going to pan out. But I think that has been particularly fortunate for the sport that we were able to play. Well, the US Open didn't even move dates, did it? It was just as it was. Um, and we were able to, you know, push the push Roland Garros back. So we're just fortunate with that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been a tremendous effort. Like I've said on a number of pods, we've got people traveling from country to country to country, and we just managed to hit a really good period of time, and it's worked out all right. And it was, I have to say, it was really nice to be part of a Grand Slam during this time, just to see how different it was. Um, and how it all works during very difficult times. And, and as I say, everyone everyone got on with it. Everyone knew what they had to do, kept their distance, wore the mask, kept the hands cleaned. I had four COVID tests in the end. Four? Four in three weeks is brutal, just want yeah. to say. And when we went for our final one, because I remember I said we're having one just before we came home, for sort of peace of mind, uh, we sat down and they, there weren't so many people. They were kind of winding it down. And the woman said to me, do you enjoy these? And I thought, <laughs> no. Um, who does? She who, must have had somebody who does them. She, who's going to enjoy having a biro stuck up your nose? Like, no one. She said, do you enjoy these? And I said, I just thought, you know, anything is a trick question. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> she said, oh, you know, you and I just thought that was ridiculous. But I got through that. I'm now quarantining. Yeah, you're stuck. So I'm now. Two weeks. In. It's weird when you get home, so got back from the airport, came inside. It's almost as though because you can't go outside, that after about an hour, I was like, I really want to go outside. I didn't need to go outside. But now I'm a few hours in, it's the next day. I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah, it's, but it's nice weather as well. Well, not nice weather, it's terrible. To stay weather. inside. That's what I yes, mean, it exactly. Is. It's good weather. You look outside, it's pretty grey. It's raining right now. It's nice and chilly. You just want it, you can just snuggle up, cup of tea. 
chill out inside. I mean, look, you're going to get bored, aren't you? Two weeks indoors is well, a bit much. But I see. I I don't think so. I think I think there's all the stuff that people maybe without children did in lockdown. I'm doing now because they're still going to school. That's still open. Everything's fine. So I'm actually finally going to get to tidy. Oh, so all the deep cleaning and the tidying and deep cleaning. Yeah. So when like you were calling me saying, "Oh, I've done my kitchen and I've done this and Ben's bought a new dustbin and all these things that you were doing." that I was mildly jealous of, I can now, that's all sort of stacked up, I've now got two weeks of deep cleaning. Well, there you go. This doesn't, it doesn't sound a lot of fun, does it? Mm. Um, but yeah, just sort of taking it easy, getting stuff done, because the next work for me is Bercy from from the UK. Yes. Doing that a little bit remotely. And and you, how are you with work and pregnancy? What's what's that? Are you are you done now? What What's... What are you doing? Not quite done. We'll have a few days scattered here and there. Right. And how are you How are you finding it? How are you finding it being quite heavily pregnant and working? Because it is challenging. It's, de- it's definitely challenging. <laughs> As I mentioned, the things that have kind of affected me in pregnancy are, are not conducive to the job that we do <laughs> in terms of talking. As people will have heard on the podcast, getting very out of breath when trying to talk and especially talk a little bit fast yeah. or loudly yeah. or passionately as you kind of need to you can't just talk like this as a commentator <laughs> it's not gonna not gonna be good for you um I mean look I'm very fortunate my job I get to sit down so that's nice I'm not yeah, I don't know true. how people do it if they sort of are running around a hospital or working behind a bar or something I mean that's just being up on your feet no thanks so I've been <laughs> been enjoying a large part of uh, of my job in that sense but uh, yeah it's been the getting out of breath I've been kind of burpy lots of burping lots of hiccuping and that sort of thing so it's just that it's just been quite annoying for Pleasant. when I've been lovely <laughs> you asked <laughs> what do you want me to say um but yeah so it's been kind of like annoying stuff really rather than anything too dramatic can you still play tennis? Can you still stand up and no. club a ball? Or those days <laughs> no. long gone for now? Uh, long gone for now. Yes, absolutely. I played until, oh, I don't know, about yeah a month ago. So, yeah, until about seven months pregnant now, I played. I don't know if there's any point asking some a question to a person who doesn't even believe in having a Christmas tree. But have you started to nest? Well... <laughs> you have haven't you i have yes and i i need to but we're um currently negotiating potentially moving house so that definitely restricts the nesting i mean why on earth how on earth has this happened that you're about to give birth while moving house yeah i know right bit annoying so who knows (laughs) what the next few weeks will hold uh but hopefully we can get into our new place before i give birth and i can spend a good week or two nesting and then We'll be off. That's the plan. Well, I would say I'd help, but for the next two weeks, I can't help. I can give you words of encouragement. I was thinking earlier, I was like, well, okay, you're quarantining, but I can come round. Obviously, I can't. But <laughs> I just realised that. I was like, oh, I'll come over. And then I thought, well, I could drive over and just, we could just talk through the window or something. But I think I... I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I think in June, July, August, that would have been pleasant. I think... You could have sat outside. Yeah, I think you chat. standing in the garden speaking to me through my door would be odd <laughs> through the letterbox i mean if if you lived five minutes away you could you're just walking past to have a lovely little chat but the fact that you're going to drive from where you are to where i am to stand outside my back door and speak to me i just think that would be odd yeah for anybody who who is wondering i'm about an hour and a half away but i was considering it 
and I, I appreciate can't do anything. I can't even nest. And I pre and I appreciate the thought, but you know, I've got two weeks when I can send you words of encouragement for pregnancy and moving, and then after the two weeks, I'm out and about again. So then we can then we can get together, and I can help with the move or something. I don't know. I can be yeah. useful. Exactly. I I well, just yeah. I just want you to note the dedication that I was showing. That's all. Yeah, and and me to you. If if I could, <laughs> I w- <laughs> I would leave the house and come and help me. But unfortunately, I just have to stay in. So all I'm doing now with my other half is I'm saying, remember to get the children. Remember to take that out. Remember to do this. He's like, oh wow, it's good to have you back because <laughs> I yeah, can't... all the things he was remembering to do when you weren't here. I know. That, no, I'm just I'm saying. <laughs> you know, they get picked up at this time. He's like, and they have done for the last you couple know we of weeks. Have children. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks but we will be podding again next week because the tennis continues there are tournaments taking place everywhere awesome I'll speak to you then alright bye bye, bye.